0: Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Institutional Insights. Today's episode is looking at how COVID-19 has impacted longevity. I'm your host today, Steph Williams, Communications Specialist, and I'm joined with Daryl Brundle, Head of Longevity, and Ashley Cantor, Longevity Research and Innovation Specialist. Daryl has been working at LNG for a year now, and Ashley first joined LNG as an actuarial student in 1983. They'll be telling us about what impacts COVID has had on mortality rates over the years so far, and we'll highlight some of their key findings. Welcome, Ashley and Daryl. Thanks for being in our podcast.
1: Good to be here, Steph.
2: Thanks for inviting
0: us. So let's start by giving listeners some context about what the longevity risk team does. Um, Daryl, can you give us a quick overview, please?
1: Sure. So the the longevity risks team role is to set future longevity assumptions for legal and general's annuity book and the lifetime mortgage products as well across all the territories that we operate in uh, and we do that for a few different reasons so firstly for pricing we want to make sure we, we price our business correctly and um, also to make sure we're holding the, the correct amount of reserves uh, to make sure we can meet all of those liabilities as they come due for our capital calculations as well so we hold additional money over over what we believe we need for for any adverse scenarios. And also part of the team is involved in sort of longevity research and development. We have links to academia uh, to keep our work at the the forefront of the longevity world. We need to do that to make sure that when we're taking on pension liabilities, uh, we can get a good estimate of of how long our customer is going to live. That's a a key component in making sure we get the right price and and making sure we have enough money to to support that business. Um, So we monitor uh, past trends where we're heavily reliant on past data, but we also look at the drivers of longevity to, to help us understand whether that past data is a good guide to the future. So will those trends that we've seen in the past continue in the future and, and how will longevity and life expectancies change for, for different groups of people in the future?
0: Thanks, Daryl. It's interesting to hear that mortality rates play a vital role in reviewing our products. We've seen in the news that there have been many deaths worldwide and that health systems have been overwhelmed. Ashley, can you tell us what changes you and the longevity risk team have observed so far this year?
2: Well. Uh, in short, lots and lots of changes. Um, and what we've been doing is we've been observing data both at a national level uh, and also internal data. So, nationally, uh, most of our um, data comes from the ONS, which is the Office for National Statistics, and they compile mortality statistics for, well, the whole of the UK, but um, specifically um, England and Wales, we've been focusing on that represents 90% of the population of the UK. And looking at at that data for 2020, we've observed a very sharp spike in the number of deaths this year, particularly during April and May. So obviously when we are looking at trends, um, we need to be aware of the fact that every year is unique in its own way. So we need to kind of compare, we need to know what the average sort of variation we would typically see from one year to the next would be. So what we've been doing is we've been looking at 2020 so far and comparing it with the five previous years, 2015 to 2019 and the average of those years. So that gives us a feel for what the kind of background noise is, if you like, Normal variation that you will see between yearly data. Uh, on an England and Wales level, we would expect to see around about, in, in very broad terms, around numbers, about 500,000 deaths in a normal year. That is equivalent to about 10,000 deaths in a week. Bearing that in mind, we've looked at the last five years and we generally see that in a light year, we would have maybe 10,000 deaths fewer than that. Uh, and in a heavy year, 10,000 deaths extra. So in other words, typically we would be within about one week above or one week below um, the the average. But what we're seeing for 2020 so far is that we are around about 50,000 deaths in excess of what we would normally see. So in other words, if a heavy year means cramming 53 weeks of mortality into a 52-week year, And a light year means only having 51 weeks worth of mortality. At the moment, it looks like we're on target to hit 57. So that is really massive change in terms of long-term and recent trends. So on this occasion, despite all the normal caution we should rightly exercise, we can be very confident um, that we are actually seeing a very real um, and very remarkable trend for heavy mortality. But it wasn't always like that because this trend has really only started since the end of March. So round about the period that lockdown started, we saw this sudden uh, big, big rocket in the mortality rate. And up to that point, in fact, we were heading for what would have been quite a light mortality year our mortality was lighter than three years out of the previous five. So things were going quite swimmingly, even as the storm clouds were gathering. But then from that point onwards, um, when the pandemic hit and infection started increasing exponentially, um, the death rates followed and then we've been lifted, as I say, to this point where we are well above normal. The graphs that we've been looking at, they do cover not just COVID deaths, but all deaths. Um, And of course, it's fair to say it will always be true that um, not all deaths are directly or even indirectly attributable to COVID. But this is nevertheless giving us an indicator that a lot of the excess will be in some ways related to COVID.
0: Wow, so there's been a huge spike in mortality rates since the pandemic. But what about the internal data? Have you been able to see a change in that as well?
2: on our own individual internal data, we see something like this happening as well. But of course, we have to remember that our internal business is only a small uh, percentage of the total national figures, and therefore it's a bit more volatile. But we certainly have seen the same kind of spike going on and starting at the same point. Um, So we know that that is being reflected um, to to a similar extent in our own internal book. So what we've done to try and increase the uh, quality uh, of our internal data, we've asked for data on a more frequent basis, so we can get a better idea of of when the data is coming through, uh, when deaths are being reported. But we still do have a certain amount of caution to exercise because we don't necessarily know why these people are dying. In terms of the fact that we pay them pensions, the important thing for us is to know whether they are alive or not. We need to know when they've died. We don't necessarily need to know how they've died. And obviously, when somebody reports a death, uh, it's a little bit insensitive to to try and ask whether this was COVID-related or not. In summary, for 2020, we have definitely seen a a major spike. That means that we have a lot of work to do to try and work out what this means in terms of our full year results, in terms of how that is going to translate once the year has ended. And that also means that we have to run different scenarios, different assumptions based on how we think the pandemic may play out.
0: Thanks, Ashley. Uh, as you said, even with the spike in mortality rates in the UK, it's still too early to tell the full impact of COVID-19 has been on legal and in general's internal stats. And I can't imagine that predicting mortality trends is a straightforward task. Can you talk us through how you predict mortality rates? And in your experience, have they always been accurate?
2: So whenever we look at trends, necessarily our, our best friend really is, is past data. That is our evidence. That is our first idea about where we think mortality rates rates may be going. But it's not the only idea. It gives us it gives us a clue. But we need also to be aware that when we are looking in the rearview mirror, there will be aspects um, of the past that are not necessarily applicable to the future. That could be in a medical sense uh, to do with drug breakthroughs that have just been announced. So they won't have applied in the past, but they could have a big impact in the future. Another aspect is environmental policy or climate change. So, for example, our past data will cover a period when climate change has not progressed as quickly as we're expecting it to do in future years. And therefore, any impact of climate on mortality is going to be a lot more severe in the future than it has been in the past. So we need to make allowance for that as well. There's also factors like lifestyle changes, such as um, smoking. For a long time, we were seeing uh, sustained reductions in mortality, um, partly because lots of people were giving up smoking, And then we had to make a judgment and say, well, how long can this continue? As more people give up smoking, there will be fewer and fewer people. There will be less room for improvement on that front. So that's another kind of argument. And on the other side of it, we've got more recently, we've got an obesity problem, which has been increasing. So we need to know whether that is going to accelerate also. So there's a number of different reasons why we would want to look at the past, but not necessarily project it just as it's been in the past we'd need to make some kind of judgment call on all these factors. So it is difficult. It's a difficult game. It's an art as much as a science um, making these projections. And that's just in a normal year. And of course, as I've said in the the previous question, 2020 is anything but a normal year. COVID is an event that's come out of the blue. And now we're in a very, very fast moving mortality situation. I believe it was Lenin who uh, actually said, there are decades when nothing happens. And then there are weeks when decades happen. And I think that's very, very applicable to the situation that we're in at the moment. Lots and lots of things are happening, and it's making an already difficult process of projection and prediction. It's making that process even harder. So I think our natural reaction to that is going to be one of caution, to say that this is still something that is playing out We need to kind of think about what's going to happen once the first phase of this is over, when things settle to something like normal, a bit more than they have. And then we will say, once the dust settles, so to speak, in this post-COVID world, what will be, if any, will there be a lasting impact on longevity? Will the impact be uh, positive for life expectancy? Will people be living longer due to changes that they've made? Or they be living shorter lifespans connected with the damage that that COVID has done to society and to people's health in particular? Or will it be somewhere in between? Will it be uh, broadly neutral? So these are very, very difficult uh, judgment calls to make, even now, and especially now, because I think we can quite see that we we can't be complacent. And um, there are definite indicators that um, COVID is anything anything but a, a past event. But we need to start thinking about those assumptions and how they will how they will impact, uh, because they will form the basis of what we think future trends will be. And that will impact the way that we approach the pricing of the the business that we do for schemes, uh, for scheme pricing.
0: I certainly agree with that Lennon quote. Sounds like there's a lot of research that goes into future predictions. And as you say, Ashley, not all of the data is reliable, which causes making predictions even more challenging. Talking about mortality rates, especially during a pandemic, is understandably upsetting and scary. And this has caused many people to think about their health, and many have even changed their lifestyle over the past few months. What lifestyle changes have we seen so far and is it likely this will affect longevity? So so
1: the pandemic does have far-reaching effects and that's beyond just those who um, contract the disease. So um, we know that lifestyle and affluence are both big indicators of mortality and those are things that we've sort of monitored in the past and continue to do so we're seeing quite large sort of societal shifts uh, while we're in this pandemic. So some of the sort of more obvious changes we've seen better hygiene practices. So people are washing their hands more, uh, the number of people wearing masks is higher and that has an impact on disease transmission, not just COVID, but things like influenza, when we get into the usual flu season, if people are still wearing masks, we might expect an impact there. People are much more aware of, sort of the transmission of disease and a heightened understanding of, of how Um, diseases such as COVID and influenza are are transmitted. Also, people are commuting less. A lot of us are are working from home and that's had a a very quick and dramatic impact on the air quality. Now, it's too early to say whether that will continue into the future, whether people will return to the the previous ways or whether working from home is something that's going to persist into the future. But as things like air quality improve, you'd expect that to have an impact on health and eventually through to life expectancies. And outside of just lifestyle changes. There's also changes sort of in other areas of our our life. So the NHS has diverted a lot of resources to tackling the pandemic, and there'll be a there'll be a period of time needed to catch up on operations and procedures that maybe need to be delayed during 2020. Also, the government uh, is moving faster on some areas of policy. So things like obesity policy has been brought forward. There's also changes in how they will administer and who they they will administer the flu vaccine to this year. It'll go to a much wider group. And and as as we've seen in the past, recessions can also affect longevity. So affluence can often be a a indicator of life expectancy and recession will have a an impact there. And we should remember that these things won't affect individuals all the same. Some people may come through this largely unaffected. Different groups of people will, will experience the pandemic and the the after effects in very different ways, depending on their job and their socioeconomic class. And also, whilst not everyone will experience these, these in the same way, these impacts don't all, all affect longevity in the same way either. So some of these changes we're seeing, we might expect to lead to higher life expectancies, but some could lead to lower life expectancies as well. Uh, and It's too early to see exactly which ones will dominate but it won't be the same for all people and it won't be the same across all of the territories that LNG operates in. Um, we, we've sort of talked about sort of NHS catch-up but we also operate in, in the US, and Canada and Ireland and they'll have their own changes and their own differences in, in how the pandemic's been experienced. So as a team we'll continue to track the data and we'll continue to, to monitor what's going on and we'll we'll see what that can tell us about future longevity.
0: Thanks, Daryl. I've actually seen colleagues and family members of mine adopting new ways of living, so um, I hope that will continue post-pandemic into the new normal. Now, you mentioned earlier that the longevity team contribute at uh, Legal & General's products. Before we end today, can you explain how the team impacts our Legal & General retirement institutional business?
1: Yes, yeah, so when a Scheme comes to LNG at the beginning of their journey to to decide whether to pass their li- their pension liabilities onto legal in general. The longevity risk team will look at any any mortality data that specific scheme may have. So we'll use that data in combination with our own views and the views of any reinsurers that we might use to to try and get a a bespoke assumption about that particular scheme, rather than using one assumption to try and fit to all schemes. We'll we'll try and make it as individual to a scheme as we possibly can. Now that data. Uh, maybe be slightly harder to interpret if it's 2020 data. Different schemes will have experienced the, the pandemic in different ways, in the same way that different people and different territories will have done. So some schemes may be very geographically concentrated, some may be spread out across the country or multiple territories. So there, there isn't going to be a sort of one size fits all answer to this, but we'll continue to look at the data that schemes can send us. We'll continue to form our views of sort of past data, and also those drivers of future longevity to set those longevity rates for those specific schemes. Yeah, and it's worth remembering that we've only been living with this pandemic for um, a matter of months. So data will continue to emerge. Some of these sort of unanswered questions around changes to lifestyle will, will begin to be answered in the, in the coming months and, and maybe years. And, and our, our views on longevity will develop as that data emerges.
0: Thank you. And it's been interesting to hear how the longevity risk team contributes to the Legal and General Group. And it will be really interesting to hear whether your future predictions for mortality rates will be accurate. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks again, Daryl and Ashley, for talking to us and giving us an insight into the challenges the longevity risk team has faced during the 2020 so far. You're welcome. No worries. Glad we can help. Thank you for listening today. And don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast, Institutional Insights, via iTunes and Spotify, so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again and goodbye.